0: Welcome to the Baggies Broadcast new guest series sponsored by The Kettle and Toaster Man. My name is Johnny Drury and as always I'm here with Baggies correspondent Lewis Cox and we are delighted to bring you episode one of the summer guest series that is going to keep you Baggies fans entertained over the off-season. And we're hoping we'll give you a little bit of your football fix with no games and a bit of downtime um, in the coming months. It's our third series of this kind. We had one last summer. We brought you one in the World Cup break and now we're bringing you this one. And we've gone a little bit different this time with our guests. Um, We've got a few players who came through the youth ranks at Albion, went on to, to careers elsewhere. And they've got some really interesting stories. We've got a former West Brom record signing, but we're kicking off with a man who wasn't a player but who is still very well known among the Albion fan base to this day and we're really excited about this one aren't we Coxie
1: Johnny hello how are you very good mate very good, good very good no, We're very excited by this one yeah what what a what a pleasure it was to uh, to record this one yeah really looking forward to seeing what the uh, what the listeners and fans make of this one some some gems are uh, i guess came out within you know, when when we recorded this podcast, wasn't there? It was uh, it was a genuine pleasure to have um, what hour a bit a bit longer than an hour of his time and well countless stories. There can't be too many more in football with the uh, the number of stories he has and then the calibre of stories as well. I would say.
0: Well, without further ado, our first guest is well. You might have guessed it by now, but England kit man, former Baggies kit man. Baggy season ticket holder, home and away, kit man Pat Frost, who is very much well-known around, Al- well, still around Albion. He's at every every game, gets up and down the country. He's basically, he's also a football club director as well. He's one of the busiest men I've ever met in football. Um, and above all, a thoroughly great guy who we sat down, like Coxie said, we sat down with recently and he told us all about his career and his time at Albion. Now, just as a little bit of a caveat to that, this was recorded some weeks ago, so there are a few small references um, to potentially reach in the playoffs, which Albion obviously didn't do, so apologise for bringing up that again, Baggies fans. But we hope you enjoy this episode. This is one of six we've got recorded so far. There potentially might be a few more, uh, but we're certainly going to bring you six episodes, which will run between now um, and sort of early July when we're sort of banged back into the the uh, the thick of the pre-season action and the friendlies. Um, and we'll be bring, me and Cox will be bringing you the, the odd podcast, giving you updates about what's going on off the field at Albion. But this is very much our first episode of the guest series, so let's get it kicked off. Here is when the Baggies broadcast met Kitman Pat, Pat Frost. Pat Frost, welcome to the Baggies broadcast, possibly the, the busiest man I know, so thank you very much for your time, please, for coming on and uh, and chatting all things Albion. Looking forward to it. Thanks for asking me. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, most Albion fans will know you're sort of, Home and away baggies fan, Kitman Pat, as you go on on Twitter, but you're yeah, England Kitman, you've been West Brom Kitman, you know, you've, we've got an awful lot to talk about. But I want to go right back to the very start for Can Pat and talk about, you know, or before that, your love affair with, with Albion. How and, and when did it begin, really? How did it all sort of, how did the obsession start?
2: Well, it's all down to my father. I was obviously born in West Bromwich, but we moved to Wales in 67, uh, North Wales, Carnarvon area. But he would still travel up to games, you know, whether it be home or away. We'd tool up the A55 in a Morris minor and uh, go to the games. It doesn't matter where he was. My dad was as mad as what I am. And that's where I got it from, I think.
0: Yeah. So you still you you do a lot of travelling at the moment, which we'll come on to. But you were doing a lot of travelling from a very early age then, really. Yes, very early <laughs> age. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well. What, what, what's your earliest memory then, really, Pat? What's your sort of a, a, of a game, just to get a bit of background about you as an Albion fan, what's your sort of earliest memory of being at the Hawthorns and if you can recall any any games that stick out in the memory?
2: Well, I think the first game that really sticks out, we played Bristol Rovers at home in about 73, I think, and we beat them 3-0. And I remember there's about 17,000 there and we were travelling up from Wales and I can, we're going over the top, you know, the Clamberries Passing, kind of going um, down towards betty and my old man picked up picked up a couple of ish hikers squeezing the back of the car. And I think we dropped them off at Flangoth, and then he just talked football. And it was one of those days, you know, we won 3-0, and I think that's where the love affair really started.
0: Yeah, so it was home and away Albion Albion games. And I know that you over the years you've hardly you've hardly missed many with your sort of knowledge of Albion, but a lot of people know you sort of as as Kitman Pat as you go by and the England stuff and, and being the Albion Kitman. When did that how did that all first come about, pack? I believe it was sort of, was it sort of 2003, 2004, when that would have maybe sort of started? Because I know yeah. you did a lot of work with England, England sort of yeah. youth teams and stuff, didn't you?
2: Yeah, i got a transport business and we used to run the kit abroad for them. And one of the camps I went on was the uh, under-19 girls in Sweden with a lady called Maureen Marley, who was the head coach. And she just said, look, what do you normally do when you... Because I dropped the kit off on a Monday and was going to collect it on a Friday. I said, I'm just going to kick stones and do a bit of sightseeing, you know, whatever. She said, why don't you stop and help and do the kit with us? So I did it from that day in about 2003, 2004. And it just went on from there. In those days, England only had under-17s and under-19s, 21s and seniors. Now they've got 15s, 16s, 17s, 18s, 19s, 20s, 21s, 23s the case of the ladies and obviously the seniors, so there's always a lot of squads to cover.
0: Yeah, and have you ever sort of obviously you've been involved in football as a fan in the terraces? But prior to that, have you ever been involved with, sort of in football at all, or was that sort of your first first taste of it really?
2: No, that was the first experience of um, yeah being a kit man, and uh, I got to admit, I you know I, I took to it, really enjoyed it. I thought, blimey, well, mean, I could do this again, and it just built on from that really.
0: Yeah. So how did it go from there? Were you sort of asked back by the FA to do various different teams? and?
2: and yeah. I, do you know what? I owe a lot to Maureen Marley. She's um, the under-23 ladies coach now, managed England seniors for a time, managed Everton. has been on the scene a long while and I just really hit it off with her. And I didn't miss a game with Mo, with, um, as we call her, for about 10 years. How many? away I did World Cups, I did European Championships um, and I just did all my, uh, you know, Got my experience from doing the youth squads, whether it be male or female, and gradually worked my way up. I was lucky enough to be asked to go to um, South Africa in 2010, did Brazil in 2014, Russia 2018 and Qatar with the seniors. But obviously, I've done World Cups and European Championships with the youth squads. I was lucky enough to be kit man in Korea in 2017 when we won the World Cup with the under 20s with the likes of um, Dom Solanke, you know, Freddie Woodman, John Joe Kerry, all those kind of people.
0: I, I, you've got a very sort of interesting position there, Pat, where you sort of see, you know, like you said, all these youngsters that come through. I think one of the youth teams, maybe Phil Foden, I think they're Grays group won some sort of tournament. And you're seeing all these stars before we really know about them, really. It must be it must be so good to sort of see and, and, and sort of be a part of.
2: The number of times I've um, recommended youngsters to Albion, not directly, but <laughs> through people who might know people, and the ones that have slipped through the net. You know, I, I can remember saying about a lad called Lewis Cook who capped in the under-20s. I remember saying about Joe Gomez in when he was about 15, when he was playing for Charlton and players like that. Yeah. You, you think, flipping out, these are going to be decent. And I remember talking about Freddie Woodman, the goalie, he used to you know, play for Newcastle, still playing for Preston regularly now. Josh Anamar was in that squad as well, and they were all really, really good players. And obviously, they're youngsters in the academies at this time. And they, I'm trying to get Albion yeah. to pinch them all, but you know.
0: So basically, we need to make Pat Frost the uh, sort of head of recruitment at Albion, really. You've yeah, got yeah, the thing on the pot. So how did it come around to sort of the uh, the Albion sort of stuff? So you did quite a, quite a long time of... I'm guessing while you're still doing the England stuff, you're still running your transport business as well then, Pat, so you're probably sort of yeah, it was, mega yeah. busy. Um, but but yeah. when did the, I know the Albion sort of job came up, I remember talking to you about how it sort of all came about. I think you were on holiday, I believe, or, or could have been on holiday when you, when you sort of spotted the advert. Was it a case of, that's my team, I want to have a bit of a bash at that? I'll, Do uh, you know I'll what,
2: exactly that. We were going on holiday and we were flying really early. We were going to uh, one of the Greek islands and, because we were flying really early, I thought, I'm not going to go to bed. I'll make sure we don't oversleep. You know, we've all seen Home Alone. You know what happens. So uh, I just went on the Albion website just to be nosy, to make sure we weren't playing uh, Rhodes Town Away or something like that. And the job was advertised. And I sent an email that night, about midnight. And then lined by the pool the following day, about 2, 3 o'clock, a lad called Andy Marriott, who was there player liaison officer at the time, gave me a rang and said, look, we'd like you to offer you a job. And I accepted over the phone while I was on holiday.
0: Had you you sort of made a little bit of a name for yourself at this point, Pat? Were you you, sort of different youth teams?
2: uh, No, do you know what? I hadn't. And um, the lad who was before me, Dave Matthews, you had been probably the first kit man in world football, I would suggest, you know, had been there 30, 40 years. He was um, coming up to packing up. So, I think they were just wanted another fully fledged kitman, and and they're hard to find nowadays. You know, I employ 10, 12 kitmen now and good kitmen, reliable kitmen with experience. There aren't loads of them around. So I think I just dropped lucky. They'd had a couple of hundred applicants, you know, from fans, you know, whatever, postman, lorry drivers, all sorts. But I just dropped lucky. I was working with Stuart Pearce at the time with the under 21s. Um, so I'd got a bit of experience and. I think I was lucky in that respect.
0: Was it a case of you had to sort of give up the day job? I imagine a hitman at a club can be sort of
2: all in consumer. With
0: England, you go away for a few sort of days at a time or a week at a time. But was that a case with the the Albion stuff? You had to sort of commit full time to that, really?
2: Yeah, I had to ring Stuart Pearce, which is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, by the way, on holiday to tell him what I was going to do. But uh, Albion actually took over my life, which is why I only did it for two seasons. The missus and kids are saying, you know, we just don't see you. But I couldn't wait to get there. I was first in. I was last out. And um, the chairman, Jeremy Peace, pulled me in the office after about three months. He said, um, Pat, we we'll are worried about the hours you're doing. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, somebody told me you were still here at 10 o'clock last night. What on earth was you doing? I said, well, do you know what? I don't even know. But it was one of those. I, I never wanted to leave the place. I remember I'd set up the dressing room on a Friday night for a Saturday game. The ground, the Hawthorns were were being pitch black. And I would just sit in the dugout for an hour and just sit there and taking the atmosphere. And people said, "What do you mean atmosphere? There's no atmosphere. There's nobody in there." But you know, when it's your team, your ground, and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it being quite. Can you remember that first? Well, obviously, when you when you accept the job, it's pretty good accepting any sort of job when it's your boyhood club. But when you sat next to a pool in the in the sunshine, I imagine that makes it even better. Easier to celebrate straight away. But can you remember sort of that moment and the moment you you sort of started your first
2: day at Alvin? Yeah I can, in fact I started while it was um, international break so there was quite a few players at the time who were away and my first game unbelievably was Stoke City at home and I think Ryan shot and scored a last minute winner and let me just say at the time the head coach wasn't very happy with the way the goal came about and he was a bit awkward in the dressing room my first time there's a bit of arguing to and fro in and one thing and another you know and with
0: we skipped over that. So would it have been Roy Hodgson when you took over, or was it? Yeah, it would have been Roy Hodgson. So what yeah. was that? Did he have any sort of say in 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 you taking it? You know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you have backroom teams at football clubs. So I imagine the manager sort of appoints, but then the kit man's not part of the sort of coaching staff. Really, Did no, have no. a say in that or?
2: No, I was given the job by Andy Marriage. You know, the, he played in goal for Blues actually. If you remember him,
0: the name rings a bell. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. and he was working at Albion at the time and. I got introduced to Roy within a couple of days because um, I think he was away as well because international break. You can imagine there's not loads of people knocking around at the club at the time, so I didn't see Roy till probably the match day minus two before the Stoke game. But we we hit it off, me and Roy, and he left Albion before me to go and work at England Seniors, of course. So.
0: Yeah, so I imagine you sort of sort of came around sort of again. Yeah. Soon soon after that, what well, as an Albion, you know. I'm, I'm talking to you as an Albion fan. If I went in there as kit man and was rubbing shoulders with these players who were playing for Albion in the Premier League, I'd probably be a bit giddy. What, 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 what were you like going in there? Was it quite daunting, or
2: um,
0: how did you, know did you take to it?
2: It was quite daunting, but I'm guessing it would have been even more daunting for a lad, another kit man who went in, rather than me. At least I knew all the players' names. I yeah, knew yeah. more about them. You know, Brunty's looking at me to say, "How does he know this about me?" But you know, I could reel <laughs> stuff off about Brunty now that he was like. Scratching his head, to say where did this lad come from because you know he wouldn't know. And I was following Alvin home and away at the time.
0: And so your sort of time just to, to to talk about specific players, you would have probably been there, sort of second season of Roy Hodgson, and then the season of first season of Steve Clark.
2: Yeah, and this, and I was there when Steve got let go and stuff like yeah.
0: that. Yeah. So yeah, that was you know quite a successful period. And going into that dressing, a lot of big cat, you know Ben Foster, Jonas Olsen. Um G- Gareth McCauley would have been another net. a lot yeah, of big Steve characters in Reed there Stephen Reid was there Stephen Reid yeah what was um? was there any sort of anyone specifically that you sort of took to and got on particularly no, well with
2: no I got on well with them all I, you know I genuinely did I, I made sure they I, they didn't want for anything while I was there I made sure of that and I'd like to think they tell you that if you you know if you speak to some of them now but I was there the night we signed um, Romelu you know stuff like that I was there when we signed um Rigi, Keith Andrews. I was there when the night when Romelu didn't come, he carried up the motorway to Everton and we signed Cessignon and Anachibi and stuff like that. So, you know, and it was only good times when I was there. I think we finished 8th and ninth.
0: Yeah, no, it was brilliant, a brilliant period. It's interesting there with signings. I I remember speaking to someone a while ago. I imagine there's people who work at Albion and people like yourselves who've probably, Know of a lot of other players who probably nearly signed for Albion, or you've sort of seen players come in the door who maybe signings didn't get over the line. What what was a what was a like a transfer deadline day like for a kit man? Because I imagine you're having to sort of make shirts up for 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 signing photos and stuff, and maybe some don't get over the line. Have you got any sort of specific tales you can tell us about sort of deadline days or signing days?
2: I'm guessing the average kit man like me, who's who doesn't follow his team, probably don't necessarily need to, need to be there on dead, transfer deadline day, but there was no way I was going home. I was staying, <laughs> and that was it. So um, the night that Romelu was actually on his way back, well, we thought he was on his way back, I think it was about half past eight, nine o'clock, and Steve Clark was still at the training ground because, you know, he thinks this is happening. And literally about half past eight, he came down to me and said, look, he's on his way back, get his kit ready, blah, 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 which I did. And about ten to nine, he's come back down and said, look, he's not going. I think Everton sold Fellaini to United, and Everton. I think we would bid two million for a loan for the season, and they bid something like five million. And literally, was about five miles from Junction Seven of the M6. You know, that's how close he was to coming to us for that season.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember it sort of unfolding, and it, yeah, it was a it was a bit of a sickness in terms of players in that dressing room, Pat. Um, what are your sort of specific memories? I'm sure there's stories that go on in the dressing room that aren't suitable for a, a family podcast. But but what are there any stories sort of from behind the scenes that sort of particularly stick out for you from your time well, at Albion in terms of the
2: players? Well, there's nothing um there's nothing controversial. You know, we were doing so well at the time. People wanted to come to West Province Albion, yeah. they wanted to play for Albion. It was a really good place to be. Um, so there was nothing ever. You know, untoward, but I'll never forget that one of the worst dressing rooms I've ever been involved in was, do you remember when we played Reading away and Romelu would put us 2-0 up? And they scored, Bell, yeah. they scored three goals in the last seven minutes. And we lost 3-2 away at Reading. I remember thinking about 20-5, oh, this is going to be a good night. I'll drive home. I'll be home for half seven. I'll have a takeaway, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be a really good night. Back in for recovery tomorrow, no problems. And 10-5, to 5, we're flipping 3-2 down. We've gone back in the dressing room, five to five, something like that. And when I say nobody has said a word, nobody moved till at least half past five. We were absolutely shell-shocked. We just sat there. No one did anything. No one said a word. No one moved. I'm just stood there sort of like in the showers area waiting to start tidying up, but no one's budging. And I think the gaffer said something like, "I've nothing to say. Just get changed. Let's go. Still, no one moved. Everyone was sat there, but Yona stripped off, walked across the dressing room, stark naked. Just got in the shower, and then everybody else started. But that dressing room was probably one of the worst ones I've been in when I've yeah. been working at Albion. And I, what, I've been in some good ones as well, by the way.
0: I can imagine so during that time because there was a lot of good results. What what was it like? as a you know, I'm sure there are times when the the sort of coming. I can imagine Roy Hodgson and Steve Clark, if they had to, both reading the right act at times and sort of raising their voices. What's it like when you're there? Are you just sort of standing in the corner just out of the way? I imagine sometimes thinking, yeah, you've, he's right. He hasn't had a very good first half. He needs to to up it in the second half. The sort of fan fan voice in your brain or do you just sort of stand there and keep yeah, out of the way? Yeah,
2: it, it does. But you're so privileged. The dressing room is a sacred yeah. place, by the way. And you're so privileged to be involved. And I only really saw Roy lose it once, which was the first game he came. He was absolutely fuming with a 1-0 defeat to um for, to Stoke that day. And I only really saw Steve um lose it once, but he lost it and he turned it around at half-time. We were losing at home to Norwich, I think, 1-0. And we beat him 2-1 and he went mad at half-time and there was a massage bed flying around and stuff like that. But because we always did so well in the time I was there, I didn't really see any... You know, big scraps in the dressing room at all. I was very fortunate.
0: Yeah, what was, your, what was your relationship like with Steve Clark? Did you get on well with him as well as Roy as well?
2: Yeah, I love Steve Clark. In fact, I went up to Kilmarnock to see him and had a cup of tea with him one of his pre-games and what have you. And uh, I get mm-hmm. on very well with a kit man at um, Scotland who we're always sending messages to and from. And he always says, oh, Steve says, how are you? And stuff like that, you know. So I'll see him again in September. I think we're playing there, aren't we?
0: Yes, yes. We, September uh, or
2: October, we're going up to Hamden, so I'll see him then.
0: I think there is something scheduled. In terms of individual stories, sort of funny tales with players, am I right in thinking something involving yourself and a player in a car, Pat? someone got I remember someone got in touch on Twitter and mentioned that, and I think I've mentioned that to you before, about play player giving you a set of car keys.
2: Uh, as in, well, no, James Morrison shot me his um, keys for his uh, uh, Bentley Cabriolet one weekend. Yeah. He said, oh, can you look after this for me? I went, yeah, no problem. <laughs> and I think it might have been international break in November. So it's about minus 20. But I have took the kids to Sainsbury's with the roof down on this um, <laughs> Bentley. So, yeah, it was good. He, he did chop me the keys for the weekend, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you were extra careful with that, Pat. I imagine Very like,
2: careful, yeah. I'd,
0: I'd probably be driving it at about 10 miles an hour if that was it. Yeah, was one the of the neighbours actually
2: walked past walking his dog. He said, well, the lottery, have you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and just with before we bring Lewis in and, and touch on sort of the England stuff and and a bit more of that sort of post Albion with um we I, we hear a lot on sort of when players talk on other podcasts about the physio room and maybe the kit man kit room or or the kit man they're sort of the hub of of the sort of of the football club really you know there are a lot of the, where sort of players sort of gather around or, or used it did you find that that sort of everything's really serious, serious with the manager and stuff and and players sort of can have a laugh and a joke more with sort of the physio and the, and the kit man. Was that sort of a really, was that something that was part of your role? And if so, was it something that you really enjoyed?
2: Yeah, it was actually. And, and at Albion, you'd have the, at the top end of the train going, you probably know this, I'm guessing it's roughly the same. They got the offices, the office areas. And then further down the corridor, they got the kit room and then the medical room. And whatever happens, whether it's club or international football, first thing in the morning, everybody will report to the medical area. You know, they'd have samples, wee samples to make sure they're hydrating and stuff like that. So they will congregate at Albion. They'd have to walk past the kit room to go down to the medical room. And players like Claudio would always come in and he'd try and chip a football into a dryer or a washing machine and stuff like that, you know. So they'd always walk past and you'd always have a bit of fun with them first thing in the morning. But Dean Carly was really good for that. He was a really, really good bloke to have around, you know. He'd keep everybody... Always laughing and joking and keep everybody laughing and joking. He was a really good bloke to work with, Dean.
0: Was there any players in particular that were a little bit of a bit of a kit man's nightmare at all? Anyone sort of leaving their socks inside out or anything well,
2: like that? They all, listen, they all do that now, so <laughs> you know, but there was never any, you know, you call them ourselves, whatever you want to call them. There was none of that at Albion. They got a really good group of players in the time I was there.
0: Yeah, and and just finally before Lewis comes in, you you said you were there at the end of Steve. Were you there for the end of Steve Clarkson? I was,
2: yeah, we lost. It. We lost at Cardiff, didn't we? Away one nil. That's
0: it, yeah.
2: And I, it was horrible because i I think we they'd gone down on the coach and I'd gone on the van, so I think I will beat them back by about twenty minutes. And I'm unloading the van. Um, I would pull up on the car park and I can see um, the chairman's lights on in his office. Oh, that's strange because normally that time of night on a Saturday at half past eight, there'd just be security security guard. And within five minutes of everyone getting off the bus, Steve had come down and shut me and He said, look, they've let me go. Thank you very much. And that was it. it was, it's just brutal when you see it like that. I'd never experienced it because obviously Roy had gone on his own accord. And we tried everything to keep Roy. But when they're letting a the bloke go, you've been working with a year and a half. And you just won at Old Trafford four weeks previous and stuff like that. You know, it's just it's tough when you see it like that because it affects um- them, you know.
0: I imagine it's difficult, you know, yourself. You built up a bit of a rapport, as you said, with Steve. Cause it's probably difficult to know what to say, and it's, yeah. you, can well, you say, can't really. say anything. You can't say
2: anything. Yeah. And everybody so you, else keeps their job and he yeah. walks out the door.
0: Were you still there with it so that there's, when Pepe, Pepe Mel came in after that, you would have still been around for the start of that, would you,
2: Pat? Or? No, I missed Pepe by, um, by about a day, I think. I, th- I was. We played over Christmas. We played Tottenham away and West Ham away over Christmas, and we'd we stayed in London for four days. Uh, we then played Palace at home in the FA Cup on about the 4th or 5th of January. Uh, and that was my last game then. And I think Pepe came in a week later.
0: Yeah. And so you were saying that earlier it was just a case of it became all all consuming, all encompassing really, and just a bit too bit too much in the end. Yeah, you
2: know, I-, I couldn't run the business and keep a full-time job. It was difficult. And with all due respect to Albin, my business was financially more rewarding to me than taking a job at Albion yeah. but I listen I shed a tear when I I told Keith and um, actually I had, had, had to give him three months notice so when I handed him my notice and Steve was still in the job but then when Keith and Dean were tasked in like you know pretty much keeping us up which they did by the way um, you know the end of December January and we've had a couple of good results we drew at West Ham we drew at Tottenham they're like look can you stay till the end of the season and stuff like that but I'd It was the year of South Africa, um, Brazil, and they're already committed, so it was difficult. Yeah. yeah. But I shed a tear when I handed me a notice in Albion.
0: I can imagine. I can imagine so. Lewis, do you want to take over from, from here?
1: I would love to. Thank you, Johnny, and good afternoon, Pat. It's do, wonderful Liz. to see you and great to hear your tales. And I thought I was um, late, but you were even later, weren't you? Well, yeah. You, the listeners don't have to know that. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to say it's it's an absolute pleasure to you know to hear from you, but certainly from our perspective to see your legendary uh, trainer collection behind you as well is is also a joy. Um, yeah. That's that's no good to the podcast listeners, is it? But uh, at least me and Johnny can enjoy it. Um. Yes, mate. No, thank you. Uh, as I say, we'll move on to obviously England and Johnny's touched on the end of your time without being there. Um, the one I wanted to just chuck in regards to the baggies, and, and we've heard you speak of how, you know, the the changing rooms are sort of sacred and then touching on the training ground as well. And Claudio, you know, with the, the washing machine and you know, Dean Kylie and stuff. What, what what are your other big memories of the day-to-day training ground life, Pat, you know, the the banter or the, you know, even maybe this, the more serious stuff, but what, what do you think back on?
2: Well, a typical day at Albion for me, where I'll, I'll be getting there about 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm travelling from Telford, obviously, to make sure I'd miss the traffic on the M6. I'd make sure everyone had got their kit out, so players would start turning up about 9.30. They'd normally be on the pitch by 10.30. I'd go out and watch training. I'd, you know, It's only ever normally lasted 90 minutes, maybe two hours, um, maybe only an hour if it was match day minus one, set plays and stuff like that. They'd come in, I'd gather their kit up. I'd put their flip-flops out. I'd give them all a towel. And just, you know, it was almost like the same every day. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, but I never, ever got bored of it. You know, normally nowadays in clubs, it's the kit man's the last man standing. You know, the kit, kit men at clubs have been there years and years and right. years. It's just a great role. if You you know, if you're a footy fan as well like I am, you know, I, I think when I got the job at Albion, I had to go and get my money back for my season ticket and my away season ticket because
1: mm-hmm. I'd already bought them. So to be involved in it was just brilliant for me. Did the pl- Did the players? You, you joked about, well, probably not a joke, but knowing more about Brunty the career than than he did himself. But you know, the, the players quickly became aware you were a die-hard supporter. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think when they, they, they um, warm for that, I, I suppose. Yeah,
2: I'd like to think they did when uh, we beat Liverpool three 0 first game of the season, and Zoltan scored that goal, and the whole crowd are cheering his name. I'm doing exactly as every single man on the terraces was, you know, they're all going, Gira, uh, Gira, I'm doing it on the bench. And Runchy taps me on the shoulder. He says, Pat, you're on the bench. You can't be doing stuff like that. So, you yeah. know,
1: that was, yeah, straight into it. Yeah. Lesson number one. Yeah. Um, no, brilliant, mate. Can, that, that's a great memory specifically, but I, I was keen to ask, and I don't know if this is something Johnny touched on right at the start, but, a, a, a you know, a, a major memory, a memory that you cling to most there, you know, be it a, a Goal or a result, or even something you know, more lower key, something that really stands out still. I,
2: well, listen, I always get stick for talking about the 5 1, but so I will mention that in a second. But I was also there that night, we won at Anfield live on Sky on a Monday, and um, Fozzie had saved the penalty. But I don't even remember, Garth McCauley was absolutely outstanding that night, and he stopped to do a bit of press. So before um, Roy had spoke to everyone, we were waiting for. Sorry, it wouldn't have been Roy, it would have been Steve. Before Steve was waiting to speak to everyone, we are waiting for Gareth to come in, but he might have been five or six minutes later than everybody else. And obviously, he'd scored the first goal, didn't he? But he got a round of applause off all the other players when he came back in. And, you know, they're, 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 they're clapping gently. You know, I'm sat there, I'm, I'm goosebumps. I'm welling up, I'm getting emotional just because the rest of the squad are clapping Gareth, we coming in from a... You know, we beat Liverpool, which, you know, we're in the same league as them, but it doesn't happen very often away from home, yeah. does it? Oh, mate. so that especially but I'll never forget the five one because I'm, um, at the Wolves dressing room is very small the away one so you have to put all your skips in the showers and before anyone can get a shower you have to bring them all back in the middle of the dressing room so I'm just starting to get stuff sorted and everyone's come back in peter has been doing his interviews and stuff like that and um, it went quiet in the dressing room and I heard Roy say where's Pat where's Pat get him in here get him in here and he's got me in front of all the players he's put his arm around him. he says look at his face just look at it look at it that's what it means to him so that'll all you know i'll never forget that i love
1: roy for doing that that i mean you know two seasons but blummin' lucky to have that one there aren't you as results, yeah go. it's
2: good yeah we'd won at villa as well hadn't we and yeah we just beat walls walls and villa back to back almost
1: yeah i've got it i've got it listed here obviously to talk about um when you time working. Uh, the Hawthorns and the training ground came to an end. You touched on it earlier there and how difficult it was for you, I'm sure, and the notice period you had to had to give. But um yeah, yeah, just that changing period for you then Pat when when obviously Albion finished and and um and, and onto obviously the England senior stuff. Just just talk us through I suppose maybe your feelings and your emotions. I am sure, you know, seeing out those three months were, were difficult because you were you were doing the dream job there, weren't you? So I'm sure it wasn't something you were in a rush to pack in, but well No, no
2: it wasn't. In fact, I'll never forget the... I think we, I think Palace knocked us out of the cup on my last day. Um, and for some reason, I don't know why, I never got to the bottom of it, but Keith and Dean had told everybody, whether you're in the squad or not, you've all got to come to the game. So I remember Nicholas and Elka turning up about half past one for the game and stuff like that, so everyone was there. Um, but even at the, ga- at the end of the game, at half past five, six o'clock, I've loaded the kit van, and I'm finished now, that's me done, that's my last game. I've gone back to the training ground and I still did all the laundry before I left. I still, I think I just made match of the day at 10 o'clock on the Saturday night. I literally, they were almost the security blokes like, what are you doing? I, I was last one there. It's Saturday. We've not been knocked out of the cup. Everyone miserable, but I've still gone back to finish off my job properly to make sure it was okay for the next lad to
1: go in the following day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't want to leave, but it was one of them. No, things. no, no, you, you, you said, you, you know, you shed a tear and I, I'm sure you still remember driving out, you know, the end of your last your last shift because you know you, of course, you might get invited back as a guest or, or whatever. But realistically, it's in in your formal role, it's the last time, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. So how so? Um, well, moving on from it, just just talk us through, you know, your in in terms of your career in football, how 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 you know the next stage unfolded then, Pat. Well, I think it was uh,
2: I think January the fifth it was the my last day, the Paris game, but then the following Monday, I was driving out to Spain with the England senior women for a warm-weather training camp. Uh, the, the senior women were there, the under-23 women were there, so there was two of us going out in convoy, and then I started all over again with England, had I been, had I had been doing with them before I started at Albion, it then just started straight back into that role, yeah. and later on that year, um, we went to Brazil didn't we, for the World Cup with Roy as head coach, as it happens, and mm-hmm. Fozzie, um, uh, Ben Foss was over there as well. So that was good.
1: I'd imagine you, you spoke about you, you know, you have a work in your business. It's, it's just a perfect match for you, is it, in terms of the commitment, you know, and what, what you can bring to both both roles. It's perfect for your lifestyle, is it?
2: Yeah, it is, yeah. Well, you know, I'm getting paid to go and watch England now. You know, <laughs> if if I hadn't been working in Italy a couple of weeks ago, I'd have been going out there as a fan. I was following England. I went to the World Cup in Germany in 2006. And now I'm getting paid to go and uh, work with them,
1: basically, and look after them. Yeah. So, uh, again, you've touched on you know, Roy being there and Bosley and, and stuff. Just talk us through those. You, you've experienced Albion in a couple of seasons there, your dream job, club job. But um, what were those early stages like with the England senior set-up then?
2: Well, it was good because, I mean, my first World Cup as um, as not an assistant, as a, as a kit man myself, as in the league the lead kit man, was... Russia and we got to the semi-final. Yeah, you know it's it's not been too bad since I've been at England, has it? mean we got <laughs> to the final of the Euros. We didn't do, do too bad in the Nations League. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean you've you've had you talk about the privileged position you had at Albion as as a baggy, but um you know in terms of English football it's is, is obviously it's as good as it's been since uh, well a couple of generations, isn't it? '66 and you've you've had the insight into it all that very 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 few, if anyone's had.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's going to go down as possibly the most successful England manager if he wins a few more games, isn't he? Yeah. And I've been lucky enough to be part of it. I don't know how long they'll keep me. I'm 57 now, but <laughs> until someone says frosty, you can't lift that
1: skip anymore. You're too old. I shall carry on. Before I dig deeper about the um, the major tournaments, which which I'm sure is beyond fascinating, how about the, um, you know, just the camps, the meetups where. You know, it might just be friendlies or qualifiers. It's a bit lower key, I suppose. Um, you know, new new caps, new call ups, new players. You you all meeting for the first time because it's their first first cap and stuff. Just just those more general meetings. How are they? Do
2: you know what? That the, they might be. They might seem lower key, but they're no less intense for the kit man sort of thing. You know, yep. we can have twenty six players now in a squad for uh, the nation leagues, the nations leagues game. So. Uh, they're no less intense for us. They might just be nation leagues game rather than Euro qualifiers, but it's still you know it's still full on. There's still 50 members of staff there. There's still 23 to 26 players. They've all got to be looked after with kit and what have you. Thankfully, every single department you know the medical team, the press team, everyone gets on brilliant. What Gareth has created, everybody wants to go on camp. No one's ringing up saying, "Oh, I've got a bad head. I'm not coming." Or, yeah. I've hurt my thoughts.
1: So, you know, you know, everyone wants to be on England camps. The the international setup, you know, obviously is different to a, a club setup, isn't it? Whereas, you know, day-to-day life at the club and that. So how about that dynamic between yourself as a staff member and, you know, the other staff members? Because you, you're not, obviously you're not seeing them as often, but um, just in terms of the contact and then the dynamic when you do meet up, I mean, it sounds from what you said there, like you, you couldn't be any, any closer as a group with your bond. No, stuff.
2: I mean, there are there, when I started in 2018, there hasn't many members of staff, you know. Bear in mind there's a, a core of what you would call 25 dressing room hardcore staff and the, another 25 of um you know comms, FA TV, that kind of stuff. Yeah. There are there haven't been many new faces since I started five years ago, six years ago. It's still the same core. I think there's been one or two replacements, and the reason that is because no one leaves. You know they they don't want to leave. People leave at clubs, but they don't leave they haven't been leaving while um I've been in England with Gareth. everyone wants to stay and everyone wants to come back on camps.
1: out of interest you touched on um starting up and and Brazil, of course. um I mean, what a place to go full stop, yeah. especially when it's football related, you know I mean it doesn't get much better, does it? I, Interested by um, it was 2016 the Iceland exit wasn't it am, am yeah I so in you had, had yeah had had that experience um, and you know over here us watching is it as fans and media and stuff that was obviously a, a lower disappointment how was it was that difficult being involved in that because obviously that was you know, not not what not what was expected of England was it
2: no and do you know what I was actually the England uh, I was back doing England the 21s at this point oh. I'd gone to the game was in Lens, and I'd gone to the game as a fan, I'd driven over. Um, There's two senior kit men and for big competitions, they take a third. But because France was so easy, I stayed and worked with the under-21s. I didn't actually go over there only as a fan to watch the games, but I was there for, you know, we'd gone over with the vans to pack up at the end of the
1: tournament and everyone was very, very depressed. No two ways about that. Yeah, yeah. And from 2018, as you've touched on, um, having having the main gig and and, and the record in the tournaments ever since has is, is, is been sensational, hasn't it? And, wow, what a joy for you to have experienced those, I'm sure. I mean, we see the clips and the footage and some of the pictures you post, but, wow, talk about living the dream.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm stood on the side of the pitch for the penalty shootout against Italy. You know, there's millions of people who would want to step in my shoes and do what I do. We are very lucky, and I know that. And you, you can't take your eye off the ball, Because if you mess up with England, you're making the front of the flipping papers. Don't worry about that. So you've got to make sure you're good at your job. You've got to make sure you do it well.
1: That's an interesting point, actually, there. uh, I'm not saying there wasn't the pressure at Albion because that's your club. And of course, it's, you know, it's, it's, of course, there's massive pressure, but a different sort of pressure with England there, as you've touched on, maybe.
2: Yeah, I did get into trouble at Albion a couple of times, actually, with the press. (laughs) I wrote um, boing, boing on the match ball once. And I stupidly said to the cameraman, I said, you make sure you get this. And he went, oh, don't you worry about that. I am going to get it. And I thought, he's a bit keen to get that. Because advertising on a match ball, I think the game was live on a Monday night. There's 500 million viewers worldwide. And I wrote boing boing on this match ball. And within 30 seconds of the game kicking off, I get a tap on the shoulder from a lad called John Simpson, who you'll remember, at Albion. He said, did you write something on the ball? I went, I might have done. (laughs) And he made the papers. And I got a um pulled my mind Jenkins into the office you know what you're doing kind of thing you know <laughs> thankfully it was just a, it was harmless but yeah, the headline yeah. in the paper was "Baggy's balls up
1: <laughs> very good so yeah, you gotta you, be careful you, of course you could have said it wasn't me but uh yeah they, they went straight to the die baggy, didn't they yeah well i owned That's... up i put my hands up i said yeah i did <laughs> yeah. sorry the um uh, you talked about, you know, we're speaking about England there and the major tournaments that have been so successful, and of course the unbelievable last few years. Um, I was keen to ask you, you know, maybe the mainstays of that squad, who I'm sure you've grown so close to and you know, you know, become so fond and familiar with. Obviously, we think of, you know, I suppose the Canes of this world, and and there are a few others that have seen out this period. What what sort of um, insight could you give us there, or just you know about those kind of people that you're working with there? Well. <laughs>
2: They're obviously all very, very good footballers and they're great lads to be around. And again, I am very lucky to be cleaning Harry Kane's boots when he's just scored a hat-trick at a World Cup, you know, and stuff like that. And I I have to pinch myself sometimes. Thankfully, I've got a lad who works with me, who's, I couldn't ask for anyone better. So when we're on camp, he'll look after the players packing up the kit and match kit and I'll look after their footwear, whether it be flip-flops, trainers, uh, boots. We'll look after the staff exactly the same. But no one, it, you just, it's such a pleasure to be on these camps nowadays. And people think, I know what people say, it can't be as good as you're saying it is, but it is, no one ever has a crossword. It's like, it, it's, it couldn't be any better, which is why we're doing so
1: well, of course. Nothing controversial happens. It's just all good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Are they, um, you know, the, the leaders of the group, they, they must be, hugely, immensely inspiring to be around, you know, the the, the likes of yourselves in your positions, but, you know, the the younger players who are just being called in, stuff like that. Um, Must be a privilege to see.
2: Yeah, when I, um, when we meet up uh, on if they're meeting up on a Monday, we'll meet up on a Sunday to get everything ready. I get all the name plaques and I try and remember where I put them from the previous meet. So I always make sure Harry Kane's, might sound daft to everybody else, but I'll make sure he's as close to the door as possible. So he hasn't got to walk across the middle of the dressing room, like, you know, and then Jordan Henderson goes next to him, Raheem Sterling, Harry Maguire, Carl Walker, John Stones, Pickford. I have got a way of putting out the dressing room for them for training days. Match days is different, obviously, because he goes in number order with their shirts. But I do try and keep everything. I don't, pe- people don't like changing any
1: walk of life, but yeah. I try and keep everything to sat, people sat exactly where they've sat in the previous camp. Yeah. From from an England perspective, then, uh, apart from the senior lads, who's, um yeah i was gonna ask who's been a laugh you know who's who um keeps the keeps the entertainment side of it up you know when when you can afford to obviously be a lot, lot of serious time i'm aware of that but yeah who, no uh, but you do have downtime as well yeah you yeah, know another four characters
2: yeah when they're um doing the lion's den stuff i'll try and watch in the in the background when people like Rice and mason mount are having to go and listen i don't need to tell you what jack greenish is like he, you know, he's just a really good bloke to have around. He'll give me stick about Albion. I'll give him stick about Villa. It's just one of those things. He'll sing anti-Albion songs, and I'll sing anti-Villa songs. But he loves it. It's just a great place to be, and uh, th- everyone gets on so well with each other. You know, there's no there's no idiots there. They're all just good characters. Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. some strong leaders as
1: well, of course. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we mentioned the major tournaments. Touched on Brazil. You know, Russia. We mentioned. Obviously, we've had um Qatar I mean you've been to some places haven't you what uh, all very different places for very different reasons as well so yeah what what maybe you know one thing or a couple of things from each place you know in terms of somewhere to visit and work springs springs to mind
2: well when we went to um Russia um we were flying sometimes we were flying four or five hours yeah. so you you'd have what you call a match day minus one so you'd train in the morning you'd then have to pack up and then you'd be loading an aeroplane to fly to um Nova or Samson I can't even remember the names, but they're five air flights You'd have to take everything with you When we were in Qatar Everything was within an hour's drive So we'd, we'd train on match day Minus one and then we'd just pack the stuff up And then we'd load it the following morning Logistically Qatar was the easiest, we won't go to An easier World Cup because everything mm. No one was flying anywhere, we were just driving So it'll never get Any better, I think the next World Cup is in Someone said you could have an eight-hour flight in between Mexico and Canada or whatever, you know, so yeah. that'll be a big test. Um, but Qatar was brilliant for me because we didn't see a cloud until the last couple of days. You know, we had a couple of spots of rain and we just didn't see a cloud. Like, people will just no, – from a kit, man, when they're not wearing trousers or jumpers or wet tops or hats, gloves and snooots, it makes it an awful lot easier. <laughs> and they were wearing vest
1: tops in Qatar and a pair of shorts, and that was it. Less washing to do, I suppose. Absolutely it, it was, yeah. Well, you mentioned um, Canada, the States and obviously Mexico there. 26, isn't it? 2026. 20, yeah. I'm sure I'd, I don't need to ask the question, but I'm sure you hope to be there in a working capacity.
2: Well, a lot can happen between now and then, but, you know, unless, like I said,
1: unless they get rid of me, I'll hopefully I'll be there. But three years is a long time in football. What, one more on England senior stuff. If I was to push you for um, a best memory slash experience.
2: Uh, when Kieran Trippier scored that goal in the semi-final after four minutes, and I couldn't see us losing, I was gutted, like everybody was. Yeah, we yeah. were just doing so well at the time, and when it hit the back of the net after about, I think it was five or six minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brilliant.
1: Absolutely, I'm going to do a, a a swift gear change from um, from the top of world football um, to Welsh football, and another passion slash hobby slash uh, well busy time and, and and role for you, Pat. Yeah, Arkansas. I mean. You know, and that's on the board isn't it I think I'm right in saying it yeah I am
2: a board member at so, Carnarvon town yeah uh,
1: you know fascinated to hear about how well maybe how that came about and then what what that entails for you
2: well obviously when we moved to Wales in 67 from West Bromwich we moved to Carnarvon so in the early 70s if I, we weren't going to Albion I'd go and watch Carnarvon games right. and three or four years ago I started going again and I just got the bug I'm seeing lads the lads in for 30 40 years at school and um, they asked me to join the board, so I did. I'll, I help them out financially when I can. You know, I'll give them a few quid here and there and pay for a hotel now and again. Yeah. And if you think it's tough watching Albion at the moment, Carnarvon <laughs> have got to get a point from the next two games, otherwise we're going to get relegated. So I'll be at Flint on Wednesday night. I'll go to Blackpool tomorrow to watch Albion, and I'm going to Flint away on um, Wednesday, and then Aberystwyth away right. on Saturday, because Albion don't play till Sunday, so it's worked out quite well. Well, and that's,
1: I'm 99% sure that's top flight, isn't it, in Wales? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So is that, is this, uh, how is this for Carnarvon Town's, you know, history? This is a, they want to be in a top division, I'm sure. It's a a good achievement for them to be there, is it? Yeah, it
2: is. I don't know if you remember, well, Johnny might have. They used to be in the Northern Premier League. Yeah. um, But they decided to go in the Welsh League, I think, early 90s, and they've been there ever since. Our budget compared to the likes of TNS and Connors Key, Newtown, Baller. We've all got multimillionaire owners and my views tough. They they've got a kit man, He'll chuck them a hotel here and there, and that's about it. So we're uh, we're up against it slightly with some of the teams. They've got massive budgets compared to us.
1: But it's, it's great massive. fun. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned your schedule there of games you go into this week alone, <laughs> Pat. And um, you know, with, with your work, with family, with the Albion, with you know, your passion there of Canoth Town, with I realise England and Albion, I suppose, doesn't really cross over. But uh, where on earth does the time come from is the obvious question.
2: Uh, well, I have to manage it really well, thankfully. The missus hates me anyway, so it doesn't really matter. You know, it's not going to be... So that but
1: she, she yeah, does yeah.
2: come occasionally, and um, I'll ask her if she wants to come to Blackpool tomorrow night, but I'm sure she'll turn it down. <laughs> she she, de- she definitely won't come to Flint on uh, Wednesday, that's for sure. <laughs> so
1: That's an you know, early, uh, early summer holiday, isn't it? Tuesday night in Blackpool, I think. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, but you, you you wouldn't want it uh you wouldn't want it any other way I'm sure yeah. would you then yeah. absolutely you know, like, yeah I can imagine you like love nothing more than you know planning scheduling out your trips yeah. you know nationwide
2: yeah no I wouldn't change it and uh I, the day after stop going to football would be a sad day for me
1: yeah yeah do you envisage uh, I mean Albion's your your love and your passion do you envisage following them home and away you, you know as long as you can until you yeah in the
2: yeah I, you know jane never says to me um are you going to the football on saturday she'll say where are you going saturday you know it's yeah. one of them it, well, it's in your blood isn't it and once it's in your blood it's in your blood and that's
1: it yeah absolutely i mean with your with your um with your work with your other many you know commitments and hobbies and passions do do you I you you said a couple of minutes ago to me there. three years is a long time in football do you ever see anything happening with yourself and albion again um, if anything came up, would, would you go for it? or? No, nah, club football's yeah.
2: a tough gig. I mean, I'm a grafter, me. I don't mind putting a shift in. But club football, it does actually take over your life because every weekend's gone. And even in the, in the summer, you might get two weekends, but then your new kit's coming in. So it's just like, <laughs> it's non-stop. And I, I always tip my hat. And when I was at Albion, there was only two of us. So you didn't, I think they've got, they've got a couple more now. There might be one in Academy, but some of the big clubs you've got a lot more money to chuck at it. We'll have four or five kit men, so you might get the odd day off. But at Albion, the only time you got days off was towards the back end of the season when we were doing so well. And the lads got a couple more days off because we weren't going to get relegated, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I can remember we won at... Um, under Roy, we won at Newcastle away midweek one day. Um, we won 3-2, I think. It was a really um, it was a really good game. win. Wow. Yeah, and I think it was a Tuesday night. And I think we were due to play again on Sunday. And I think Brunty got on the bus and went, see you Friday, Roy. See you Friday. As you had to say, can we have three days off? But because yeah. we just won at Newcastle, I think there and then he said on the bus, yeah, go on. Then we'll see you Friday. If you're in a relegation battle, that doesn't happen. But because we were
1: top half and safe, you can get away with it. Yeah. You've you followed Albion home and away, seen highs and lows, haven't you? You've been everywhere. Um, so... I I realise, of course, you know we're obviously talking at a certain date, a certain point of the season now, and, and this may be released, you know, later on, where we, we might all know how the season finishes. Who knows? But, yeah. but how, how are you, um, how are you seeing where things are at the minute? You know, how, Albion under Carlos Corbran, You know, the current everyone knows what's going on, you know, in the wider scheme of Albion and upstairs and stuff. But uh, I saw your tweet about Carlos. I think a couple of perhaps quite recently, um, Pat, and you had talking about how you were impressed that he's not been mumbling or grumbling with any of these absent, you know, and I thought that was quite telling.
2: Yeah, we've got the worst. I, we, I'm, I can't ever remember an, inju- an injury list like this and I've not heard him moan about it once. Mm. I couldn't see us winning Saturday at Stoke with the squad we've got, to be fair, and at half-time, you definitely couldn't see it happening. So whatever he said at half-time, that worked. And somebody did point out he's averaging two points a game and two points a game will get you promoted. Well, it's certainly getting the playoffs. So in that respect, he's not doing too bad. I'm still not convinced we'll get in the playoffs. I know we've got five to go, but you know, Sheffield, we we can probably afford to lose one, maybe draw one, but they've got to find another three wins. And when, you know, we just dropped off a little bit, and with a QPR and Millwall, QPR was a big loss to when I say a big loss, losing the two points yeah. in the way we did. We should never have done that. I mean, I think they've got one point out of the last six games, and that was against us. But you know, all of a sudden now, everyone can't wait to go to Blackpool because they just won at Stoke in the second half. And i tell you what made the difference. I don't know if you would have seen it from your vantage point, but when they came off at half-time, there was no boo, You know, everyone has got behind them, and it, it did not make yeah. a difference.
1: Yeah, i put a tweet out. Yeah, I was quite taken by that. Yeah. Because it could, could, you know, where that tunnel is in the corner there, it could be very different, couldn't it?
2: Listen, I, I've been there on the terraces and booed them, and I've also been there as a kit man walking past when we've won. It can be a flipping bad place, Stoke. If
1: we loser lose or draw there with the fans that close. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I say, this, you know, this this particular episode may go out in may, may go out in June, but uh, of course the question is, what's your uh, what what your May you know London Wembley availability like? I'm sure it's been well, checked. No,
2: well, yeah, you say that. We've got a hotel booked. Don't worry about that.
1: <laughs> no, of course, yeah.
2: Just in case, you just it's because it's too risky. That's we've okay. um we've only paid a deposit though, so we'll wait and see. <laughs> I might cancel it at half past nine tomorrow night. I don't know.
1: Well, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's a pleasure. Um, yeah, thank you for answering everything there, mate. No great problem. To, great to hear all about it. And, you know, unless Johnny's got any anything further to bring in there, thank you so much.
0: Yeah, this uh, the episode will be going out. I think it's going to be the first one after the end of the season. So fans will either be sort of delighted that we've just <laughs> gone up or they'll be thinking, what on earth have, have you both been going on about for the last five minutes? Um, but no, Pat. Thank you very much. You, you know, it's such a fantastic story, a range of different stories from from Welsh football to England kit man to Albion kit man, and you know, live the dream of, of many Albion fans, and and can, will continue to travel up and down the country for for many years to come. So, thanks very much for your time, Pat. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast.